Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Styrofoam from the 1990 album Repeater is Benjamino Gigli, a super fan of the band from Santa Cruz, California. Ben, can I call you Ben? How's it going? Sure. Hi, Ian. I'm good. <laughs> I feel like my pronunciation skills are not quite up to par. <laughs> you did great. It's cool to put a voice with a name, and yours is a name that I've seen around the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page, just sort of chipping in your uh, your commentary about the songs that I'm recording, and I'm sure I've read a couple of those comments in past episodes, so I want to thank you for participating. Absolutely, yeah. It's I, I try to chime in as often as I can. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, this whole podcast has been a really cool series. So thank you for doing it. Of course. Of course. It's been my pleasure really. And, uh, as a, as a listener to the podcast, you probably know the first thing that I'm going to ask you, which is I want to dig into your relationship with Fugazi and how you first got to be a fan of the band and just how, what that trajectory has been like for you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think uh, maybe like a lot of people, first got into minor threat uh, during high school. Just you know, again, this a huge, huge fan of them. I loved everything about it. Um, Ian's voice, the the drums, the guitars, it all just really um, spoke to me. And eventually, you know, someone mentioned to me, "Oh, did you have you ever check, checked out Fugazi?" And I hadn't, um, and I think we're about the same age. So uh, this was about, you know, this is around the time, you know, way before YouTube and the internet really. So if you wanted to check out a new band, either someone had to make you a tape or you had to go out and buy a record. So saved up a little bit of money and, um, went out and bought an on the kill taker from some local music chain, (laughs) um, and I just didn't get it. Did not. I, I, I did not care for it at all. Um, yeah, it was just. It was not my thing. So I actually returned it. And I think, <laughs> if I remember right, at the time, I think you get like maybe fifty percent, like store credit or something like that. Um, oh no, that's a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, it took me a while to kind of come around again. And eventually I did um, get uh, 13 songs. And um, this was after maybe a couple years. And I really liked that record. Um, I think it was just a better introduction to the band for me and from where I was from. So Yeah, I think it's a good starting um, point in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It It was just more accessible. And... From there on, I pretty much bought every album in order of uh, original re- release, um, and yeah, just got more and more into it, and uh, it all kind of culminated with um, me buying end hits right around the time it came out, and at that point, I was definitely at the height of just... <laughs> absolute fandom of the band <laughs> love that record to no end played it countless times and 
luckily for me, they came out um, over here to the West Coast, and um, I was able to see them live. And again, just a just an amazing experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just been a fan ever since. I got to see them one more time after that. Nice. Yeah, I also sort of like you. End hits was the first record that that came out at the point where I was a fan. I think I got into the band after Red Medicine was released. Yeah, so for me, uh, having End Hits come out was was sort of an exciting event that I remember. And I remember like the the cool friends I had at school uh, getting that and just just all talking about it and how how crazy it was. It's it, it it was like even though Red Medicine was crazy in its way, I feel like End Hits was you know challenging and people were like, whoa, what's going on? Definitely, definitely. I mean, um, "Floating Boy" just comes to mind as one of those songs where, you know, I, I think back to fifteen-year-old me listening to that, and <laughs> of, I, 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 I'm so thankful that it came around at a time when I was ready to really appreciate it because, um, it was just a great record. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like we're probably. Almost the same age. Maybe I'm like a tiny bit older than you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. I'm for, I'm 41. So. Oh, I stand corrected. 39 here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Close enough. <laughs> well, some of us on this podcast are old men in our 40s, and some of us are spry <laughs> youngsters in our 30s. Um, but we're we're here uh, in common purpose to talk about Fugazi, and. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really glad to hear you got to see them live a couple of times. Like, I just feel like my life would not have been complete if I didn't get to do that. So today we're talking about a song from an album we have not mentioned yet in your story, which is Repeater. What can we say about Styrofoam to start it off? I I haven't, you know, in doing a little research, I haven't come up with anything especially productive that uh, any band member has said about it over the years um maybe i'm missing something there i did find something interesting in that the first time they ever played it live uh was actually in reseda california in uh 1990 may 17th 1990 i thought it was interesting because it's such a negative song right i think you would probably agree with me there ben definitely yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and so the first time this was played, um, you know, I'm looking at the Fugazi live series page, and there are people who were there telling stories about it, um, and it sounds really crazy because apparently, Beat Happening opened the show, and the the punks in the audience were not having it. Like they were, they gave them a very chilly reception indeed. Um, apparently, they were just booing, uh, and that turned into a lot of people spitting at the singer and just sort of covering him with spit because he was just sort of like not running away. He was just out there taking it. And finally, apparently, someone threw an ashtray and hit him in the head with it. So it's this crazy scene and, and there are these people talking about what a sort of like ugly time it was. Um, and then apparently Fugazi sort of, I'm, I'm guessing Ian, kind of scolded the people and talked about how uncool it was what happened with uh to beat happening um but that's and i don't know if it's specifically related to their playing of this song but i thought it was funny that the first the, the first show where they played this song about just how how shitty people can be and poisonous was about the time this super uncool audience uh 
stuff was happening. The vibe of that song sounds like it definitely translated to that to that event pretty well. Maybe it sort of fueled fueled the vibe behind Ian singing at the time. <laughs> it's not one of their super most played songs. Uh, according to my data, it's number 20 with a bullet, just squeaking into the top 20 most frequently played live songs. And from there, I'm going to kind of give it to you, Ben. What's the, what's the first thing you think you want to talk about with Styrofoam? I put the record back on and played it a few times over the past few days, actually. Yeah, as far as like a Fugazi song, I thought it's a little interesting on in where it's, for most of the song, both guitars are playing the same thing. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, except for the chorus, of course, and then... In, you know, going back to like the intro, um, that's that basically leads into Joe's bass line, and he's you know, obviously playing that for most of the song. So, as far as like musical, oh, what's the word? Maybe variety. <laughs> it's not quite, I'd say, up to par with some of their other songs. It's no um, floating boy. Let's be honest. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, I um, was I was just talking about that. I forget which episode I was recording, but the idea of the you know a, a song that starts out with a certain rhythmic guitar riff, and then sort of the bass takes that same riff over while the guitars go on to do something else. Um, that's definitely something that happens in a few Fugazi songs. It's it's one of their what I, what I think of as one of their kind of classic moves. Um, and that's happening right. here. Yeah, but but overall, it's it's one of their more hard-charging songs. And I think the sort of the harder a Fugazi song is, the the more likely the guitars are to be kind of doing the same thing more of the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of those songs where seeing them live, um, and <laughs> there was a, um, I think on the Facebook page, someone posted a, a a video or maybe they wrote about their experience i think right before the song was about to play or maybe as they were just starting to to play it but i think he got was it a stage i think it was a stage diver someone jumped off the stage and kind of landed on him and i mean i i love the fast fugazi songs but as someone who's attended their shows it's those are the songs that tend to get people maybe a little too riled up and not too aware of their surroundings. And as a result, someone might get hurt. Yeah. I, I have the uh, comment here at my fingertips. It was a uh, listener named Alan Newman. Uh, and he said, the one time I saw Fugazi in April, 2002 in Louisville, this kid staged over the start of styrofoam. He landed on me and Ian stopped the show and had the predictable conversation made the dude apologize to me before restarting the song. Uh, and and this is on YouTube. I'm sure if I knew Alan personally, I could recognize him because the cameraman sort of zooms in on, on the people that the stage diver landed on. And he, he right. really does a good job capturing what happened. Um, so yeah, it, it, everything grinds to a halt. And Ian's sort of like, are you okay? And then uh, starts berating the stage diver. I'll link that for people who want to see it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I so the second time I saw I saw the band was at their um, free show in Dolores Park in San Francisco, and um, 
<laughs> my brother recorded the show with um, the kind of family video camera. Yeah. And um, he was pretty close to the stage. And a lot of the show was, um, you know, very shaky footage just from him getting like jostled around a lot. And uh, the sound didn't really come through very well because it was so loud and those old cameras just didn't do well with very, very loud sound. But gosh, I probably watched that video (laughs) very, very many times. and again, this is before YouTube, where you could just go on online and check out, you know, countless, countless hours of footage. But um, there, there were a few interactions with Ian and some folks in the crowd. And the kind of interesting thing about the footage that my brother had was um, you could hear people in the crowd talking back to Ian as he was talking to them. And so it was like this, you know, totally two-way conversation of why they shouldn't be bumping into people or, you know, or they should be a little more cautious of, of what they're doing. But, um, yeah, great, great memories. So was this in 2000, the food, not bombs benefit? Yeah. Yeah. That was it. It looks like there are a couple of videos of it on YouTube. I feel like you should upload yours if you have it. You know, the tape is probably somewhere I'd have to go over to my parents and and find it but it's, i'm sure it's hopefully it still exists yeah 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 it's cool it looks like looks like some decent footage actually so maybe i'll maybe i'll take a look at that after we record here nice yeah yeah it, it, it was a really great show i even got to meet ian and Gee and brendan actually oh yeah um, how did that happen and it was <laughs> oh this is somewhat of an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, after the show, um, and everyone started to kind of pack up and most people in the audience were, um, starting to leave. And my brother and I were just hanging out by the stage and Gee and I think Brendan came back out to start packing up their instruments. And I honestly, I, I don't know what came over me but i just i climbed up on the stage and just started walking towards Guy with this huge grin on my face i don't know can't imagine what i look like but <laughs> um and then he saw me walking over you know again with this huge huge grin and he just kind of smiled and kind of nodded and i think i asked him something about his guitars because i probably about a year ago i had bought uh a similar Rickenbacker to what, I'm sorry, Rickenbacker, um, <laughs> uh, a pretty similar guitar to what he, he used in the band. And I was just kind of, I'm sure I was just some technical question and he was very, very gracious and even, um, I even got a photo with him, but, uh, I have no idea where the photo is now, but both Ian and Guy were just very, very gracious with their time. And, um, it, it was a great memory. So, um, thank you, Guy and Ian, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they weren't scared by a deranged grinning fan approaching them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you still have the Rickenbacker? Those are uh, those are nice instruments. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. Um, I, I I still regret selling it, but um, it, they're really really cool guitars. 
Yeah. I never quite got along with the, I don't know, they have this like lacquer on the fretboard that sort of like makes, right. I remember right. makes my fingers stick to it a little. So I'm sure it's the kind of thing where like, I bet if I owned one, I'd get used to it. But uh, yeah, the, I was in a band with a guy who had one and I was like, this is a little hard for me to play. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of they're pretty unique instruments. It definitely takes some getting used to. Yeah, but, sounds great yeah. though. Yes, yes. Yep. Clearly, Gee got along with them. <laughs> yes. We were saying about the um, about Styrofoam is little intro riff with the I guess guitars in stereo. I don't know. I, I guess it's Gee and Ian both playing. Uh, maybe maybe Ian just double tracked. But in any case, like it's got this really mesmerizing rhythm. And I don't often think of Repeater as a big headphone album, but I think it sort of rewards listening in that way. It fills the sound field with this interesting mesmerizing rhythm. It's nice when a song opens with something really recognizable like that. You know, they're like... <laughs> right. I think yes, yes. There are all these things in my head of like what a perfect song has and like it has these these features, but... I feel like if a song starts and you don't immediately recognize it, then it's it can't really be a great song. And this one is certainly recognizable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when the bass takes over the guitar riff, I like the, the guitars do this ascending thing. It's really cool, yeah. Have you been a guitar player since then, or did you kind of like... Yeah, I mean, I guess I started playing um, around 15 or 16 very casually um uh never was in a band that performed in front of people <laughs> so um yeah it's, i guess for me it's just been you know one of those hobbies that never really um took off but i mean i love music i love all instruments um and uh yeah and i do kind of I like, oh, how can I say this? I like kind of the, the study of it. I mean, as far as yeah, music that, that music that really speaks to me and kind of figuring out the more intricate details of, of certain songs or the lyrics or um, even, you know, how certain things were recorded, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's very interesting to me too. And yeah, I'm, I ask because there are, some Fugazi things that I would try to replicate myself at home and some like some of the things they did seem clearly kind of complicated. It's like, boy, I'm going to have to oh, practice yeah. this a lot. But that <laughs> the little ascending, uh, I guess, maybe octave chords that that the guitars do there. That's one of those things that sort of sounds simple, but when you actually try it, it's like, oh, this 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 takes a little bit of precision to like to make this the you know start in the right place end in the right place but but be strumming in such a way that the that it sounds smooth going all the way up and you're just sort of like moving your hand at a at a at a regular enough um speed that that the the ascent sort of sounds correct so it's just one of those yeah. slightly yeah. deceptively tough things to do i think yeah i i i agree <laughs> Also speaking of the stereo field, something that I found kind of neat about this is in the part where in the part where Ian is say, singing "We are all bigots," etc. I guess we call that the chorus. 
um, mm-hmm. they're, they're they're playing these guitar notes that are seem kind of random. They're just like, I, I guess I guess just separated by a half step. Da 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 da. But mm-hmm. it's but sort of like not at a completely regular rhythm. Um, as as if it's yeah just a little random, but also the uh they're being panned a little across the stereo field and i was thinking about this and it reminds me a little bit of of like insects like being surrounded by mosquitoes or something like that um it gives you this little bit of of that that anxious feeling this, uh, this sort of buzzing sound both in the note choices and the the like a little bit of distortion and also the the movement of the notes from left to right and back again um so yeah. it's in that yeah. way an interesting little accompaniment to the things that ian is singing definitely yeah it definitely builds it, it builds a bit more tension where he's yeah where he's singing those lines yeah but uh, yeah, you were saying about you know the study of music and looking into the lyrics. What's your <laughs> what's your read on on what Ian's singing about in Styrofoam? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, at my first like kind of initial response was to was to say, well, maybe this is one of their more straightforward songs, um, and you know, I think uh, it felt like it was just a little more less open to interpretation than some of their other songs. Um, And I just thought in the first few lines of the song just made me think of like someone running for election um, and maybe perhaps something about how maybe his, whoever's running against he or her um, or they is uh, that might be like slinging mud or, um, saying things that maybe aren't true, or and maybe that kind of triggers a a counter response, and now they both might be saying untrue or inflammatory things that um, are just bringing each other down. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, that's that's really fascinating take on it. I I guess I was thinking of it more in terms of like. I, I don't know the 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 rat race and um just just sort of competing for success in in like a mass yeah I, I mean that that metaphor of the rat race of this idea of the mass of people all competing for uh you know question mark money financial well-being mm-hmm. fame success blah 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 um but yeah in in the course of doing that, we've pulled each other down. Um, yeah, or almost like, yeah, you picture somebody sort of like a, a crowd of people racing up a hill and trying to get there first and just like clawing at other people and just everybody's sort of falling down in this uh, chaotic uh, thing. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah the, that's the, interesting. Like an election race never occurred to me. That's interesting. But I also like how... You know, it starts off the line, there are no more races to be run, which definitely contradicts another Fugazi song where Ian says he's a long distance runner. So you might, I think if you want to write a Fugazi essay, you might be able to butt those two ideas up against each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I just thought also it's just interesting how it's, um, I think, gosh, I don't know if I'm 
speaking out of turn here, but it's I I want to say that a lot of the Ian penned lyrics are um, probably of a f- like first person, at least in this earlier era of the band. Um, and the fact that with this one, he's just saying that we are all the same thing. Like we're all, you know, it's it's not a matter of you you do this or I'm doing that, or it's just, we're all just one thing. And, and of course it's this negative thing. Um, we are all bigots full of hatred. Um, I just thought that was kind of a interesting outlier. Yeah. It's, I, I struggle with that lyric. Um, what, what I always assumed he was referring to is, is sort of this, this inborn human nature sort of thing that, Everyone has prejudice. Uh, I was looking into this a little. There's a 1954 book called The Nature of Prejudice, which is just apparently hugely influential um, in the like in its field by American psychologist Gordon Allport. And uh, basically, he was taking on the question: Why are people so disposed to prejudice against those from other groups? And um, I'm I'm sort of like quoting from a, something I found online here, but it says uh, earlier psychologists had suggested a number of reasons, especially in the case of racial prejudice. Some had suggested that racism was a learned behavior conditioned by negative experiences of other races. Others that there was an objective rationale to negative racial stereotypes. But uh, Allport, however, reasoned that prejudice is essentially a byproduct of the necessary mental shortcuts the human brain uses to process the vast amount of information it takes in. Because our brains want to use as little effort as possible, they regularly fall back on simple stereotypes, which easily generate prejudice. So, um, yeah, basically, it's it's totally the opposite. It's people aren't prejudiced and bigoted because of like certain experiences with other groups of people. It's exactly the opposite. They, it's this mental laziness that causes them to initially um, have uh, this tendency toward prejudice, and it, you know, turns out interacting with other groups of people more lessens that sort of thing. So, uh, I, th- I thought that was pretty fascinating, and um, apparently, just, just like this, it's been, this has been called like probably the most influential publication in the entire field of intergroup relations. So I thought it was really interesting because when, when Ian sings, we are all bigots so filled with hatred. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is racial bigotry. Is that, is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I think um, I just, for me, like I'm my personal experience, like I'm a person of color and I, grew up in an area that was very non-diverse. So, I mean, I have a, quite a bit of experience with people not being very kind to me yeah. as, you know, growing up or whatever. And, um, yeah, I just had a, you know, I've had a lifetime to think about it, think about what, what issues or what, uh, causes could have, could have made people act that way. And specifically I'm talking about like kids. So like when I was in elementary school or kindergarten or whatever, cause you know, kids that little, are they treating me differently because 
I truly just look different or is it something that maybe they've heard from their parents or something else? It's, it's, um, it's, I think, a, a difficult thing to, to find an answer for. Um, yeah, at, at least, at least has been my experience with it. So, and of course it's something that, that Ian Mackay had written about before, you know, there's this minor threat song guilty of being white um, and, you know, some people are retroactively, you know, see this, see it as kind of a problematic song. But, you know, Ian said it's, it reflects his experiences. Basically, when he was a kid in his school, he was, as a white person, a minority, and he would get beaten up just for being white. And so, like, that's the perspective that, like, this education of racial prejudice and bigotry that he got um, was sort of weirdly as a white person, but but having like a similar experience um, within that microcosm of, you know, the school he went to. And I'm sure he spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what causes a person to, to act that way and like uh, lash out with violence just to, against the group that they're prejudiced against. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If that same thing is what's on his mind in this song, he's taking a much broader view, a really worldwide view. Uh, especially in the lines, you know, we're in our minds five billion pieces so defined. Yes, um, yeah. And I, I looked this up, by the way. Indeed, in 1990, the world population was about 5.28 billion. <laughs> there you go. Now yep. it's now it's 7.9 for those curious. <laughs> we're getting up there. We sure are. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean... Like I said, I, I you know I was a huge minor threat fan when I was much younger, and um, at that time I remember hearing that song and thinking like, oh okay, like kind of like what, what you were just describing. And you know, I just kind of took it as Ian's first person experience, um, but I just remember uh, growing up and going to punk shows and kind of being around different types of people and I kept on I kept on hearing about um people especially I guess only Caucasian people um considering or taking that song and using it as a I guess as a tool to be like defensive about about certain things or, you know, about not wanting to feel white guilt or, um, or something like that. Uh, does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a classic case of, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a defender of that song. I I think it's a classic case of what happens a lot with Ian Mackay is he like, he has a certain idea, but it's like sort of a pretty specific idea. And then it gets blown up by other people into something that he did not intend and misinterpreted. Right. Like, this is what happened with the whole straight edge thing. It's like, no, actually, I didn't. I, I wasn't saying that nobody should drink and that you should go around and like beat up people who drink alcohol. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, right. I didn't say right. anything about that in the song. Um, so, yeah, I, like, and especially is, you know, he was basically just a kid. It's, it's sort of hard to. <laughs> blame somebody for uh you know writing the song about his own experiences and then um not anticipating that it will become 
like really that his band and his songs will become really famous and that a lot of you know racist people will use this to excuse racism in some like twisted fashion um right so yeah i <laughs> i think it's that kind of thing is a problem that ian mckay has had in a few instances of his life yeah yeah i mean i i just can't imagine he was he was so young when he was in minor threat I yeah mean, it's you know the band which just became so huge and gosh um I, I i just can't imagine yeah i think you probably write songs in a different way when you are anticipating like oh probably you know a million people will hear this sure oh yeah it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be very different just to like maybe just in terms of avoiding misunderstandings yeah yeah um but that said um i i am not sure that i fully understand the song i i don't know if he's writing about racial bigotry here um it's um and and it's i think the the problem i have is that i don't really totally vibe with his lyrics like i accept the idea that uh, everybody has like inborn prejudice and it's it's sort of like a failing of our mental processes that uh, that prejudice is something that everyone has and uh, just to to like eliminate it it's something that really has to be worked on um, but to say that we are all bigots filled with hatred releasing our poisons I don't feel like that's my worldview it seems so negative to me yes yeah I think it's just I think it's just, you know, one of those songs where it's like, uh, it. I, I think it explains just a certain mood. And sometimes yeah. you might be in that mood of like, you know what, we're just all jerks <laughs> at, 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 at one point or another. And um, the kind of the, the end of that line where it's saying, you know, we release her poison like styrofoam, you know, like styrofoam if you try to it or you know it just decays and it does become poison basically poison gas and um i don't know if that's trying to reflect on what happens when we perhaps pass on our prejudices to um to our offspring or to others um that's kind of where it, what i was getting from it yeah, I i actually kind of did a deep dive on styrofoam the the product uh, oh okay. <laughs> if the, if this yeah, is yeah. interesting to you and the listener, it was kind of interesting to me. Uh, I mean, the first thing is that styrofoam is, is like a trademark name, and it's just the name has um, come to you know, like Kleenex. People use the word Kleenex to talk about any tissues, whether they're made by Kleenex or not, or like band aids, etc. Um, right. Whatever. <laughs> I feel like I'm blanking on the term for when a when a brand name becomes generalized like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, proper styrofoam is, um, it's like, it's not exactly like the white stuff that comes in certain packages. It's like stronger and more expensive. The, the crappy white stuff, packing peanuts and things like that. Uh, the proper name is polystyrene foam. And... They are made through, uh, quoting here from sciencehistory.org, uh, an expansion process in which small beads of resin are warmed and then squeezed together into the desired shape. And uh, the problems with this, uh, initially, ozone-depleting chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs, were used to do that to expand the beads into foam. 
Um, but then uh, people figured out that that was terrible and CFCs were tearing a hole in the ozone layer. So those were eventually replaced with less harmful gases. Um, so that's not so much a concern anymore. And, and styrofoam is made without like damage to the ozone these days. Uh, however, the apparently the base material uh, is called styrene monomer, and that is a carcinogen. That doesn't mean styrofoam is carcinogenic, but it means like the the people who work in factories making styrofoam can be exposed to these carcinogens because it's like the the non-reacted base. And uh, what I, I think that like once it's made into the actual foam, it's it's not carcinogenic anymore. But I, I could be wrong about that. Maybe wow. the jury's out. Wow. Well, that's very interesting. I, I, I tip my hat to you for, for that research. <laughs> but, but you are right in, in that, like, one of the big problems is that it, you know, can maybe take thousands of years, maybe more, to biodegrade. And um, here's, a, here's an interesting fact. From 2002 to 2015, about 316 million metric tons of polystyrene were produced globally, with more than half thrown out inside of a year. Wow. Yeah. So, it sounds like a lot to me. I Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I feel like, when I, when I read a thing like 316 million metric tons, I'm like, I wish we had a uh, a better unit of measurement for that because I, I can't even picture that it's too vast for anyone to understand like I, I feel like we should <laughs> there should be a standard like empire state building like how many empire state <laughs> buildings of of styrofoam are made yeah yeah definitely it's it's very difficult to comprehend those those huge numbers like that of course you know I was reading this and looking at the song and wondering you know, is this an apt metaphor? In, in what ways are the poisons of bigotry akin to styrofoam? Um, and that's an interesting thing that you said that I don't maybe I don't think maybe came to mind is just how lingering it is. Like if if you put if you put bigotry into the world and 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 hatred into the world, it lasts probably longer than you might anticipate. Like it it gets into other people's heads and becomes a sort of a block in the in the system of how other people think about things um maybe just people you randomly interact with maybe your children so yeah i think in in that way maybe it is an apt metaphor oh well thank you (laughs) (laughs) were there any other uh lyrics you wanted to single out uh you know not really um i think we pretty much covered it all uh um i i am not yeah, sure yeah. when he says uh, there are no cultures left to slide i i'm sort of struggling with that and yeah i don't, yeah, I don't know if you had a same, stab on that but no same here there's a, <laughs> you know i got to say for for the longest time being a figazi fan um i just i i struggled with trying to interpret their lyrics and I kind of thought I was the only one. I thought everyone, all of my other friends that were fans of the band, they all understood it. And I was always just way too um, self-conscious to at, to ask if you know if they had any ideas. And I just yeah. silently nodded and pretended like I knew what was going on. I feel like um, we talked about this in the Five Corporations episode. It's like, wait, what are the yes, Five Corporations? Yes. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, and then, you know, thanks in part to your podcast and, um, and kind of having online forums now and stuff where I'm not quite as embarrassed to, to ask, uh, it seems like there's always one or two lines in any given Fugazi song where I'm like, I don't have no idea where that came from, or yeah. I don't know how it, how it, you know, uh, goes along with the, the other lines in the song or, or what, um, so yeah, that that's definitely one of those lines where I'm like, uh, maybe it meant to be on a different song or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh well, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I'm very much the same way. I've been doing this podcast for over a year now, and yeah, absolutely. I I feel like I've never encountered a Fugazi song where I'm definitely sure about all the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. as you said, always one or two lines that seem tricky. Right. Right. I will say uh, w- one more thing about styrofoam. In addition to the environmental effects and whatever, this is just my personal relationship with it. But that that one of my most hated sounds is styrofoam rubbing against other styrofoam. It's like <laughs> the way that some people can't stand nails on a chalkboard. Like, yeah, that's that's not pleasant for me either. But yeah, if you're if you're dealing with one of those tightly packed boxes and sort of that like cheapo like styrofoam with the hard edges against the edge of another piece of styrofoam (laughs) and you have to take one of them out and it sort of rubs (laughs) i have this just terrible visceral reaction to that i can't stand it i i'm I'm there with you (laughs) yeah yeah i i i totally understand that um it's just one of those things i guess yeah well um you said it's a rocking song. Let's talk about how rocking it is in ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? As you know, I'll be asking you if you could rate this song on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of other Fugazi songs. What do you think you would give to Styrofoam? I thought about this quite a bit, and I went back and forth with my final rating <laughs> because um, initially I. I was going to throw a a three out of five at it, but I'm going to come up a little bit um, to a three and a half out of five. I think we're in pretty similar places. I think I was going to say three. I think the reason that it's not higher is I think the lyrics do bother me. The stuff he says in this song is like so negative that, and I'm not exactly Joe optimist, but um, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like, oh man, that's, that's such a pessimistic way of looking at things. And also the the line, there never was a truth to be found. Again, of course, I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm a believer in objective truth. <laughs> and right. right. Maybe, maybe, maybe not when it comes to emotions or something wh- where it's always a gray area. But yeah, there, there are just things in this song that I'm like, I don't vibe with it on a deep philosophical level. So maybe that's yeah. part of the reason why it's not higher for me. Yeah, I think for me, the it was the instrumentation is what kind of made me give a lower, slightly lower rating than I would for say another song. Um, it's just a little. Uh, the first word that comes to mind is simplistic, but that's not exactly what I'm trying to get at. Uh, I just think there are more more interesting 
interesting tracks by the band. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I will say it that at this stage in their, in the band's life, you know, on, on the repeater album, it, it does kind of go along with what, with what they were doing. So for what it's worth. So just to calibrate, uh, what your baseline is, what would you say are a few of your favorite songs? Again, going back to end hits, that is my favorite album by the band. Um, Honestly, I want to say like 90% of that album, um, the songs are going to be four and a half to five out of five for me. Oh, wow. um, great. It just, it just really, that album just really clicks with me. Oh. Um, so yeah, I mean, just going all the way through that, um, there's some great ones on there. Yeah, I can, I can see how a big fan of end hits is like, if that's your idea of peak Fugazi, Maybe Styrofoam's not quite up there, but I also know there are a ton of people out there who are like, yeah, just like hard charging repeater 13 songs Fugazi is just my happy place. And I respect that too. Yeah. Yep. Let's go to the other comments on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page. There are a few other people who wanted to say what they thought of the song. Jared Coffin says, the timing on the guitar is incredible not the speed as much as the technique. I asked Don Z about it, and he said that Ian has incredible stamina in his wrist. It's a favorite on the album, along with a few others, but this intro is the reason I love Fugazi. Colin Mack says, gets me pumped more than any of their other songs. So good. Jason Dick says, what do you say? Those early riff-based Fugazi songs are just so strong, maybe not as complex as anything from Red Medicine on, but so viscerally exciting. And I think this is a first-time commenter, um, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this person's name. Oheim Unke? Last name U-N-K-E. Anyway, uh, he says, I remember finding the starting riff quite interesting slash special. By the way, humans can be composted easier than styrofoam. <laughs> that, that is true, like, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Um well, there you go. The only other thing I have to ask is, uh, do you have any plugs? Um, you know, nothing personally. Um, but if I can't, I mean, I just folks that are probably listening to this already know about the Facebook page. But yeah, just let's just do a little extra promo for the for this podcast facebook page and i just think it's a really cool forum for discussion and exchange of ideas um again thanks for doing it and um yeah let's just uh keep it going well you're very welcome and by the way i i I did want to mention like i have had some people email me and sort of say like yeah i'm not on facebook and um blah 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 and I don't want anyone to get the impression that I'm like necessarily a supporter of Facebook as a company. Um, I, <laughs> I think they're very questionable indeed. And um, yes, I, yes. Even even aside from the the you know sort of behind the scenes business aspect of Facebook, I, I think it's sort of becoming a, a worse platform in general. Um, <laughs> and just just in terms of the way that people I know are using it. Um, so, <laughs> uh, however, I I just think it's. If I'm going to crowdsource opinions, it just seems like the easiest way to do that that most people are already engaged in and that I can, you know, reach more people. So, uh, yeah, please do not take my uh, Facebook group as an endorsement of 
Mark Zuckerberg or any of the shenanigans that he's up to. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd rather email me, that's cool too. The email is uh, fugazi a to z at gmail.com. And that's all I got to say other than that I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing suggestions. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last